Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening, dummies. Thursday, June 24th, 7.14 p.m. One bloated calf and the milk for free, please. Bipartisanship in politics. We heard this. Partisan politics have been running rampant for the last 55, 60 years in Washington. This whole left and right power struggle that's been going on at nausea. But what is it truly about? We heard from Joe Biden that this was going to stop. 46 years and a day of service, he was going to be able to reach across the aisle. The days of Tip O'Neill and Bill Clinton and Ronald Reagan, the days when we would actually get things done in the country, and we would all reminisce and acquiesce of a greater time would happen when Joe Biden entered office, but he is absolutely one of the presidents who has been the worst to work with in modern-day history up until now, even worse than Donald Trump. So why is it? Well, tonight we're going to go over it. Why are the Democrats completely unable to work with Republicans? New kids on the shot. It's all Greek to me. And what does that mean? Well, the World Health Organization and the CDC have asked for halting on vaccinations for small kids. They were supposed to have a meeting about this, but decided to postpone it for Juneteenth and rename the geolocation coronavirus and strands and the alternate strands to something less offensive to the homeland countries where they originated from. We will go into this, but essentially creating enlarged hearts and children. I'm going to give you the stats. I'm going to give you the numbers. I'm going to tell you what they're not doing about it, which is typical nothing. Cathoid ray tube, but only in black and white. We're talking about CRT. Last night I came on and showed you a video of uh, fightforschools.com. They were going around our neighborhood and in Loudoun County and trying to get critical race theory out of schools. Now the question, is it in schools? Is it in the curriculum? How is it being portrayed to your children? We're going to talk about that tonight. I'm going to give you some ins and outs of the whole thing. But first, Stephanie, my precious snowflake, this joke's for you. What doesn't Santa... Oh, I mucked it up. I'm sorry. You should report me for uh, improper use of the word why by using what. I'm sure there's a category for that on Facebook, you sensitive Nancy. Why doesn't Santa have any millennial elves? Because there are already enough snowflakes at the North Pole. Ba-dum-bum. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for stopping by for episode 176. Hi, folks. Are you going to be subjected to the same treatment that Stephanie was? No, honestly, it's trivial. I did this with my stalker. 
I tried to be nice to the guy. I just, listen, folks, you can't pick a fight with somebody and then expect them not to retort. You know, you dish out what you do and then you got to take it. This is an adage we all grew up with. Well, at least some of us. Don't be a beta male. Don't report me for bullying. Have an opinion. You wanted to get into the fray. It's my page, man. You came on and started shit with me. I'm sorry that I finished it at a level that allows me to do it at a higher impact than you. You don't have a show. I get to control the narrative. And on this video, you're not tagged, you're not linked, and you have absolutely no way of linking who I'm talking about because I have protected your name, Stephanie. I think they should have named you Stephanie. Come on, be a man. You're from Texas, for God's sake. (sighs) Who is this? What are we doing here? What the hell's going on? Well, my name is Matthew Spear. I am the host of Don't Unfriend Me. Welcome to the show. The dummies, you may have heard me say, are the people who watch the show. The D-U-M's, the Don't Unfriend Me's. Barstool Sports have their stoolies. I've got dummies. The dum-dums are the special kind of suckers, like Stephanie. And occasionally I talk about some of my viewers who come on and just want to stir the proverbial pot. And then I pee in it. Social media. You can find me right here. Don't Unfriend Me host on Facebook and Anchor and Instagram. YouTube is Don't Unfriend Me. Stop on by, throw me a like, share, follow, subscribe. I would appreciate it. That'll pop up in the right-hand corner right here on YouTube. You can click that and get up to date with everything that is Don't Unfriend Me. And if that doesn't work, you don't want to spend some time on social media, you can go to don'tunfriendme.com. Don'tunfriendme.com is available for you. It's got my entire catalog and all my links and talking points and links to articles and audio, video, and all that type of stuff. With no further ado, let's get into the show. It's Thursday night. Astros are going for their 11th win in a row in hostile Detroit. One bloated calf and the milk for free, please. Why are so many Democrats hell-bent on shunning bipartisanship and ramming trillions of dollars in spending through Congress on party-line votes? Why are they pushing to rid of the filibuster so they can pass the most radical elements of their agenda over Republican objections, even though it would strip them of the ability to block GOP legislation when they return to the minority? It's pretty easy. The answer is super simple. Just look at the Supreme Court 7-2 decision to uphold Obamacare. The Affordable Care Act, which Senate Democrats passed in 2010 on a party-line vote in the middle of the night, has faced three Supreme Court challenges and multiple efforts to repeal it in Congress. Yet, more than a decade later, despite periods of unified Republican government and and the appointment of three conservative Supreme Court justices, the law is still standing. The lesson for Democrats is pretty clear. Government is a one-way ratchet. Once a new entitlement program is created, it never gets dismantled. Look at Social Security. So if you believe in big government, compromise... It's really foolish. You should go for broke whenever you have power because while doing so may cost you power temporarily, the gains you make will be permanent, at least for the Democrats, because that's their ultimate goal is bloated government. Many Democrats knew they were risking political suicide by voting for Obamacare. In the 2010 midterm elections that followed its passage, Republicans gained six seats in the Senate and 63 seats in the House, the largest shift since 1948. A 45% plurality of voters said they cast their vote as a message of opposition to Obamacare. And the losses kept coming. During President Barack Obama's term, the number of Democratic senators dropped from 60 to 46, while the number of Democrats in the House fell from 257 to 188, 
But Democrats were willing to sustain those losses because they knew the fruits of their sacrifice would never be undone. And they were proved right. This is why so many Democrats have no interest in reaching across the aisle today. They understand they don't have a mandate for socialism. Voters elected a 50-50 Senate, and it's the narrowest House majority in decades. But they also know that if they create new programs and entitlements, such as free high education, government-funded child care, universal pre-K and paid family leave, they will never be repealed. If Democrats lower the age at which Americans can receive Medicare, Republicans will never raise it. If they create a public option for health care, it will be irreversible. So they want to enact as much as they can, as quickly as they can, while they still hold the reins of power. And if doing so costs them power, so be it. It's only for a temporary time. Make no mistake, Democrats don't want to lose power. That is why they are so frustrated with Senator Joe Manchin and Christine Sinema from Arizona, who are blocking their efforts to get rid of the legislative filibuster. The filibuster not only stands in the way of their most radical agenda items, it also prevents them from building a firewall against the inevitable conservative backlash. With the filibuster in place, Democrats can't create two safe Democratic Senate seats by making D.C. a state or pass a partisan election law that will make it harder for Republicans to win back power with H.R. 1. But even if Republicans manage to win back the House, the Senate, and eventually the White House, Democrats know it will only be temporary and just a short-term setback because the GOP will not enact irreversible accomplishments of their own. If Republicans cut taxes, Democrats will raise them when they return to power, which they will be doing soon. We all know this. If Republicans cut budgets and repeal regulations, Democrats will restore them. If Republicans pass protections for unborn children, Democrats will simply repeal them as well. Other than judicial appointments, there's little Republicans can do in power that Democrats can't undo when they regain it. That's because of a difference in philosophy. Democrats seek to expand government while Republicans seek to limit its size and scope. And the Supreme Courts are only going to last so long unless the filibuster falls apart. And if it does, they'll pack the courts. And then Republicans have no chance. So so the worst that happens under GOP rule is a temporary pause in the expansion of government. Then Democrats return and pick up where they left off, and the inexorable march towards socialism starts up again. This is why Democrats are willing to risk their majorities by doing things that go far beyond the mandate Americans have given them at the polls. They know if voters punish them by electing Republicans, what they do in power will be temporary and reversible, while what Democrats do is lasting and permanent. Just look at Obamacare if you have any doubts. New kids on the shot. It's all Greek to me. Hanging tough. Stephanie's hanging tough seething at this video wondering how he can get it banned because censorship that's why coronavirus variants with clunky alphanumeric names have now been assigned the letters of the greek alphabet to simplify the discussion and pronunciation while avoiding stigma the world health organization revealed the new names on monday amid criticism that those given by scientists to strains such as south african variant which goes by multiple names, including B.1.351, 501Y.Victor2, and 20Hotel-501Yankee.Victor2 were too complicated. You think? Since the pandemic began, the names people have used to describe the virus have provoked controversy. Former President U.S. Donald Trump 
U.S. President Donald Trump, if you didn't know, he was President of the United States, holy crap, the new coronavirus, he monikered it the China virus. This raised concern he was using the names as a political weapon to shift blame to a rival nation. No, it really was nobody's concern, but the media had to make it that way, and so did the liberals. The WHO, the World Health Organization, no, who's on second, what's on first? which has urged people not to use language to advance COVID-19 profiling of people or nationalities, has also said people should avoid using country names in association with emerging variants. We're running out of stuff to call it. The four corona, why don't we give it a pronoun? Maybe that'll help. The four coronavirus variants considered of, uh, considered of concern by the UN agency and known generally by the public as the UK, South Africa, Brazil, and India variants have now been assigned the Greek letters Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, respectively, according to their order of detection. Other variants of interest continue down the alphabet. While they have their advantages, these scientific names can be difficult to say and recall and are prone to misreporting, said the WHO, explaining the decision. The choice of the Greek alphabet came after months of deliberations in which other possibilities such as Greek gods and invented pseudo-classical names were considered, according to bacteriologist Mark Palin, who was involved in the talks. Jeez, Mark, thanks. Aren't Greeks going to be offended? No? Oh, we don't care about Greece. Their country's fallen from grace. Many, though, were already brands, companies, or alien names. Another idea to refer to the variants of concern as VOC1, VOC2, and so on was scrapped after Palin pointed out pronunciation of the acronym could sound like an English swear word. Oh, this guy. Can someone just please grab him by the short and curlies and throw him off a cliff? Lost religions and the names of plants and fruits were also considered, the WHO said. Historically, viruses have often been associated with the locations from which they are thought to have emerged, such as the Ebola virus, which is named after a Congolese river. But this can be damaging and inaccurate, such as with Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, whose origins are unknown, although the earliest cases are now believed to have merged in the U.S. state of Kansas. I've never heard anyone go after a Mexican. I'm going to say some words here that are horrible, but I'm from California. I've heard wetback and greaser and, and spick and another horrible bunch of other words. But I've never heard anyone say, hey, man, why don't you get out of here, you dirty Spanish flu creator, you? Seriously? My Hispanic, Latino, Cuban, Mexican, South American, El Salvadorian, Puerto Rican brothers and sisters and friends out there that I have. A lot of them are from Houston. I'm an honorary member of the Cuba Cuban fucking mafia. Who's offended by the Spanish flu? Now, don't get on me, Cubans, that you're not Spanish. I don't want to freaking hear it for the sake of the show. Just suck it up and deal with it. I'm talking to you, Virgil. No country should be stigmatized for detecting and reporting variants, said the World Health Organization epidemiologist Maria Van Kerkhove. In the United States, Asians have been harassed and attacked during the pandemic. Oh, come on. With activists and police saying anti-Asian sentiment was fueled by Trump's comments blaming the pandemic on China. No, it wasn't. We used to do this to Russian people. We've done it to Muslims. It's whoever the American enemy is, and most assuredly China is the enemy of the United States, you jackasses. President Joe Biden this month signed a law against COVID-19 hate crimes. <laughs> it's not going to be here long enough to care. 
Before the new WHO scheme, some scientists had adopted their own simplified nomenclature for variants such as in a February paper using bird names. However, this was criticized, listen to this bullshit, on the grounds that this could imperil birds and by the mother of girls named Robin. Stephanie should go work for the World Health Organization. He would fit in like a glove. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration said on Wednesday it plans to move quickly to add a warning about rare cases of heart inflammation in adolescents and young adults to fact sheets for the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. What? U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention advisory groups meeting to discuss reported cases of the heart condition after vaccination found the inflammation in adolescents and young adults is likely linked to the vaccines, but that the benefits of the shots appeared to clearly outweigh the risk. Moderna shares closed down 4.2% while Pfizer fell 1.4%. Wow, I can't imagine why. Pfizer, whose vaccine has been authorized for use in Americans as young as 12, said in a statement that it is aware of the reports of myocarditis and pericarditis after mRNA vaccination. It said the benefit-risk profile of the Pfizer biotech vaccine remains positive. That sounds lovely. Moderna said it is aware of reports of heart inflammation cases following administration of mRNA vaccines and is working with regulators. Health regulators in several countries have begun investigating whether the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna shots using new mRNA technology present a risk. And if so, how serious? Well, an enlarged heart's pretty freaking serious. Thank you very much. The CDC said that patients with heart inflammation following vaccination generally recover from the symptoms and do well. Generally. Okay. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, joined by leading U.S. doctors groups and public health officials, put out a statement and underscoring that the vaccines are safe and effective and that the heart side effect is extremely rare. The World Health Organization is suggesting that parents could hold off on vaccinating their children against COVID-19 according to its June guidance. Huh. What a dink. The WHO states that since children tend to experience milder symptoms compared with adults, they aren't in urgent need of vaccinations unless they have a pre-existing condition. Instead, vaccines should be prioritized for those with such conditions as well as for older adults and healthcare workers. Wow, haven't, isn't that what we've been saying all along? Open up the schools? Hmm. The U.S. Centers for D- Disease Control, the CDC on Thursday, put off its meeting to discuss the occurrence of of myocarditis among people who received COVID-19 shots due to the Juneteenth national holiday. Advisors to the CDC were set to meet on Friday to assess the possibility of a link between rare cases of heart inflammation and mRNA COVID-19 vaccines for Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna. So let me get this straight. A national holiday that was just declared literally on that Monday. And you decide to postpone a meeting where over, what, 800 cases have been identified in children and those aren't even the ones that have not been disclosed because maybe the symptoms haven't shown up. Remember, you know, people who have COVID but they don't show any symptoms, they're an asymptomatic carrier. So people very well could have a larger reaction to this, but these are simply people who maybe didn't show up to the hospital, thought it was a reaction to the COVID shot, and thought it was everyday BAU business as usual. And you decide to take the Juneteenth holiday that nobody really had any idea about up until Biden just passed it off? 
I can see your priorities are in the right spot. This is why people think the World Health Organization is a fucking joke and the CDC. Quote, we strongly encourage everyone age 12 and older who are eligible to receive the vaccine under emergency use authorization to get vaccinated, it said. Doctors and hospitals have been warned by the CDC to watch for symptoms of myocarditis or pericarditis, and the FDA warning will further raise awareness. (laughs) It'll further tell people not to get the fucking shot for their kid. Concerns about the more highly transmissible Delta coronavirus variant taking hold in the United States and its impact on younger people have added to the urgency to increase vaccinations, even as the inoculation effort here has slowed considerably. The number of Americans receiving their first dose of COVID-19 vaccine is down about 85% since peaking in mid-April and will likely fail to meet President Joe Biden's goal to have delivered at least one shot to 70% of adults by July 4th. Well, it's all good because Dr. Fauci said 70% was the, uh, the goal for herd immunity. So we're set, right? Oh, no, 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 no. It's moved again. Sorry. He just changed it about three seconds ago. It's now 85%. And when we hit that, it'll be 90. After that, he will go ahead and say, we all need a third shot and we got to get to 125%. Why? Because he's full of shit as a Christmas goose. There is a warning that's warranted here. Based on the available data, a warning statement in the fact sheets for both healthcare providers and vaccine recipients and caregivers would be warranted, FDA official Doreen Fink said at the advisory committee. Fink, deputy director of the agent, what a great name. I trust her already. She's a Fink. The agency's vaccines division said the FDA expects to move quickly to add the warning after the meeting concludes. The cases of heart inflammation appear to be notably higher in the week and after the second vaccine dose in males. The CDC identified 309 hospitalizations from the heart inflammation in persons under the age of 30, of which 295 have been discharged. Dr. Tom Shima Bukaro. Deputy Director of CDC's Immunization Safety Office said in a presentation that data from one of the agency's safety monitoring systems, the Vaccine Safety Data Link, the VSD, suggests a rate of 12.6 cases per million in the three weeks after the second shot in 12 to 39-year-olds. So it's about the same people who actually die from COVID. Oh, well, we shut down the entire world for that, so maybe we should shut down the entire vaccination process for this. No, 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 logic doesn't work here, folks. Shut up. We're observing this in the younger age groups, mainly in people in the teens and early 20s, and observing it more in males compared to females. This effect largely kind of disappears. This effect largely kind of disappears once you get into these older age groups, individuals 50 and over. CDC has been investigating heart inflammation cases mainly in young men for several months now. Wow, we're just hearing about it. This is interesting. The Israeli health minister earlier this month said it was a possible link between such cases and Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. The CDC said it was still assessing the risk for from the condition and did not specifically confirm a casual relationship between the vaccines and the heart issue. It did, however, say that a much higher than expected number of young men between the ages of 12 and 24 have experienced this heart inflammation after their second vaccine dose. According to data from the U.S. Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, There were 347 observed cases of heart inflammation in the week after the second vaccine doses in males aged 12 to 24. Let's do females too. That number goes up. That compares with expectations of 12 or fewer cases for males in that age range based on the U.S. population background indice rates, the CDC says. Over 138 million Americans have so far been fully vaccinated with one of the two mRNA vaccines, according to CDC data as of Monday. 
Well, then why is the CDC and the World Health Organization asking for a pause in children and recommending that they hold off unless it's a severe case? This is why. They didn't test this effectively because they didn't have the time to do so. This was a rushed vaccine. We know that. It was a risky vaccine. mRNAs have no history. We don't know what it's going to cause. We don't know what the long-term side effects of this. So far, we have heard heart inflammation. We have heard that it makes people impotent, that it stops the ability of the reproductive system of kids, that it creates extremely high fever, can create brain damage. There's a lot of things we've heard, and none of it sounds good. Maybe we should slow down here just a little bit and look at the numbers and stop overreacting, but that would be too much to ask. Remember, this is COVID. This is the greatest thing and most horrible thing that has ever happened to the world in our history. That's according to our teachers. Speaking of teachers, CRT, cathoid ray tube, but only in black and white. We've talked about CRT. I've told you fightforschools.com. Go to that. It will be around when CRT enters your schools. Former President Donald Trump has rallied against it. You heard it during the debates with Joe Biden. Republicans in the U.S. Senate introduced a resolution condemning any requirement for teachers to be trained in it. And this is where it is. It's not necessarily that CRT is making it into the curriculum. It's that the teachers have to go through this training, along with toxic masculinity, unconscious bias, white fragility. And it is literally changing the way that they teach and talk about American history. They are creating a woke generation of teachers that are explaining that all the problems in the world are because of white people and white men in particular. This is not something that's in our curriculum yet, but it is starting to slowly change. And this is what indoctrination is. It isn't a fast, fast flow. It is a slow drip. It is Novocaine. Consistency, time, and it always works. These Republican states have invoked legislation restricting how race can be taught in public schools. The concept known as critical race theory is the new lightning rod of the GOP, but what exactly is it? The terms seem to appear in state houses and at political rallies almost out of nowhere. Well, pretty much everything is nowadays. Over the Spanish flu, are you kidding me? And please, anyone who took offense for me to use racial slurs for Hispanic people, I am not going to give you my resume. These are horrible and and atrocities that should never be spoken about any race, any color, any creed. No Hispanic American gives a rat's ass about the Spanish flu. No Spaniards care about the Spanish flu. No Africans care about the African flu. They just don't want to get it and they don't want to die. They don't care what it's named. It is just a clever excuse for people to go ahead and put sympathy points towards China. Please knock it off. Over the last few months, this has morphed into an obscure academic discussion point on the left, into a political rallying cry on the right. On Wednesday, for instance, critical race theory became a flashpoint during a congressional hearing into the military's approach to addressing racism and extremism. When General Mark Miley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, pushed back forcefully against accusations by Republican lawmakers that the effort is creating division and hurting morale. Yet even those who condemn or seek to ban critical race theory in schools often struggle to define what it is. And this is true. I've asked people, what is critical race theory? They have no freaking clue. Real world examples, real world examples of students being indoctrinated in its, in its principles are difficult to find. And this is accurate. I've looked at the curriculum of my daughter and son's class, and there are very few examples of critical race theory, but there are some. What is critical race theory? Critical race theory is a way of thinking about American history through the lens of racism. 
Scholars developed it during the 1970s and 80s in a response to what they viewed as a lack of racial progress following the civil rights legislation of the 1960s. It centers on the idea that racism is systemic in the nation's institutions and that they function to maintain the dominance of white people in society. Bullshit. Excuse me. The architects of the theory argue that the United States was founded on the theft of land and labor and that federal law has preserved the unequal treatment of people on the basis of race. Proponents also believe race is culturally invented, not biological. Way too many topics in such a short period of time. It wasn't theft. We conquered you. Conquering has been happening all over the world for a whole lot longer than Americans have been doing it and that the English came over and the colonials did it here. Native Americans were conquering each other long before. Do you think it was just all teepees and powwows and hunting deer and buffalo? No, they were conquering, slaughtering, and killing rival tribes for more land. And this was going on ad nauseum. Let's stop pretending that peace was here long before we got here. It's bullshit. Kimberly Crenshaw, executive director of the African American Police Forum. Policy Forum, excuse me, a social justice think tank based in New York City, was one of, well, I guess it could be thought police, so I guess it works, was one of the early proponents. Initially, she says it was simply about telling a more complete story of who we are. Is critical race theory being taught in schools? Like I said, there's little to no evidence of this. And from everything I can find, it's not necessarily being taught in public school. Though some ideas central to it, such as lingering consequences of slavery, have been. In Greenwich, Connecticut, some middle school students were given a white bias survey that parents views as part of the theory. Republicans in North Carolina point to the Wake County public school system as an example, saying teachers participated in a professional development session on critical race theory. County education officials canceled a future study session once it was discovered, but insist the theory is not part of its classroom curriculum. Well, then why teach it? Why train the trainer if you don't learn leading out? Critical race theory is not something we teach the students, Lisa Lutton, a spokesperson for the school system. It's more of a theory in academia about race that adults use to discuss the context of their environment. Huh? So you guys can just go in the teacher's lounge and talk about this? You have no intentions of giving this to students? Please, you guys are full full of shit, sanctimonious dickheads. Why are Republicans upset? I'll tell you why. Many Republicans view the concepts underlying critical race theory as an effort to rewrite American history and persuade white people that they are inherently racist and should feel guilty because of their advantages. What advantages? I would love to hear this. But the theory also has become somewhat of a catch-all phrase to describe racial concepts some conservatives find objectionable, such as white privilege, systemic inequality, and inherent bias. Absolutely. And that's the problem. They're all the frickin' bread of the same father. Each one of these, I've gone over them a hundred times, unconscious bias, systemic inequality, white privilege, toxic masculinity, the 1619 Project, Critical Race Theory, all of them come from the same socialist ideology, and it's all indoctrination. Let's go ahead and find out where the Republican pushback began on this. Republicans often cite the 1619 Project as a cause for concern. The New York Times initiative published in 2019 aimed to tell a fuller story of the country's history by putting slavery at the center of Americans' founding. Critical Race Theory popped into the mainstream last September when the when President Trump took aim at it and the 1619 Project as part of the White House event focused on the nation's history. He called both a crusade against American history and ideological poison that will destroy our country. 
How are states addressing this? So far, 25 states have considered legislation or other steps to limit how race and racism can be taught. According to an analysis from Education Week, eight states, all Republican-led, have banned or limited the teaching of critical race theory or similar concept through laws or administrative actions. The bans largely address what can be taught inside the classroom. While bills in some states mention critical race theory by name, others do not. Last week, Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill prohibiting public school teachers from making any of the 10 concepts part of their curriculum. Good. That includes the idea that the advent of slavery in what is now the United States marks the true founding of the nation. At the request of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, that state's education board approved a resolution last week stating that teaching critical race theory and using instructional material related to the 1619 Project violate state standards. U.S. Senator Rick Scott in Florida and two other GOP senators introduced a resolution last month that condemns the practice of requiring teachers to receive critical race theory education. What is the response to the actions? Teachers, unions, educators, and social studies organizations worry the limit will whitewash American history by downplaying the role past injustices still, still playing today. They also fear a chilling effect on classroom discussions. Leading critical race theory scholars view the GOP-led measures as hijacking the national conversation about racial inequality that gained momentum after the killing of George Floyd by a white police officer in Minnesota, as you know. Some say the ways the Republicans describe it are unrecognizable to them. Cheryl Harris, a UCLA law professor who teaches a course on the topic, said it's a myth that critical race theory teaches hatred of white people and is designed to perpetuate divisions in American society. Instead, she said she believes the proposals have a clear political goal to ensure that Republicans can win in 2022. She doesn't sound biased at all. Folks, listen. In summary, here's what it comes down to. I'm going to split it down the middle. Critical race theory. Both sides are right. Both sides are wrong. And we need to meet in the middle. To those fighting to keep schools from including facts about the treatment of slaves, indigenous peoples, and others, you're wrong to hide the truth. Our youth deserves to know. But I want you to also think, what if we started talking that abortion was wrong? What if we started teaching God's law? In your eyes, these are theories. These aren't scientific fact or provable. God is a myth to a lot of liberals' eyes. They believe that it's a fallacy and science reigns supreme. That's fine. That's why we don't teach theories. In science, at least, it has to be based on some sort of finding, some sort of fact, or has to be disproven. There are measures to qualify something as fact, and we don't call it fact until it is. It even has it in the fucking title, Critical Race Theory, just like the Boy Scouts should only have boys in it because it was called the Boy Scouts. But we're kind of right that you should say and we should be proud of what was accomplished during the formation of our country and proud of the people who accomplished this, even though there are things that we should not be proud of. To those wanting to remove the name of every person who did or said something that is adverse to today's standards, recall the Bible version, John 8, 7. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. We're wrong to judge someone solely on the basis of their flaws, particularly when those flaws were not perceived as such in their time. You are right to say that they were imperfect and that they held opinions that are not acceptable today. Most civilized societies throughout history and prehistory were served by slaves. It doesn't make it right, but it does state a truth that should be told. Most of the world had slavery, and we were one of the first to condemn it. People different than the ruling class have been mistreated throughout the ages. That doesn't make it right. But it states a truth that should be told. And yet, while practicing things that we know 
and now know to be wrong, the leaders of these societies produce some pretty amazing accomplishments. So please, let's tell the complete story without expunging all the names of history. My perception is that CRT suffers from several weaknesses that limit it as a teaching foundation. First, it's, it's not a theory in any scientific sense, as it offers no criteria by which it might be falsified as a scientific theory should. Indeed, CRT proponents often appear largely incurious of data that conflicts with their worldview. Second, CRT proponents often appear hostile to any critique which can be aggressively framed as racist or as an expression of white fragility. Even criticisms from people of color are sometimes framed as outgrowths of multiracial whiteness. Look at Candace Owens, calling her a race traitor. Third, as noted above, there is little evidence CRT-ish education helps and good reason to think it hurts, though more open science data is needed. We need more transparent data from schools on how widespread CRT concepts are being employed and good open science research on their potential impact on kids. My second concern is the widespread use of the ad hominem, the moat and Bailey response. It's when proponents of one extreme views retreat to an anodyne opinion, such as, we only want to teach racism because it's bad when they're criticized, and reverse the burden of proof. Well, how do you define CRT and what evidence do you have against it in defense of CRT-based education? These are all strategies employed by weak theories, not strong ones, which generally welcome replication and criticism. Are conservative politicians using CRT for cultural war leverage? Yeah, they are. But for once, I think they're on to a real problem. Further, criticisms of CRT hardly come only from the right, but are also common among liberals and centrists, including teachers who have stood up to these approaches. The organization Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism, FAIR, is a bipartisan and ethically diverse network devoted to challenging the intrusion of ideology in education. Efforts to cast opposition to CRT-ish ideas as a conservative bugbear is itself a dog whistle invitation to partisan ideological conformity. Nonetheless, bannings come with their own obvious problems. Particularly in high education, there are serious free speech concerns, and even in K-12, there are apprehensions and lack of clarity could chill important conversations about the darker sides of our nation's history. Instead, for K-12 education, school districts should develop clear, transparent criteria for pedagogy, 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 dissemination. Every show, it seems. Empirically or historically accurate perspectives. Demonstrating student success is important. The discussions of controversial issues which encourage debate and critical thinking rather than conformity should pass muster. I fully support educating our students about race, racism, slavery, and the darker sides of our nation's history, but there's little evidence the wave of CRT-ish education is effective and good reason to think it may hurt. Conservative politicians have been in chaos this last year, so why the left wants to hand them the gift of dying on the hill is difficult to fathom. Critical race theory is not a fact. Like most things, it's based on opinion. We need to keep opinion out of schools as much as we possibly can. There are classes for this. Sociology is one of them. Debate is another. We can have our kids learn this when they're able to handle it, but you don't get to tell a six-year-old that they're a misogynistic piece of crap, toxic male. 
it's the farthest thing from my truth from the truth my son holds the door open for every lady he sees he says ma'am he says thank you he says please he brings roses to the person who he thinks is his girlfriend and he is a kind young man who wouldn't hurt a fly but according to you he is a white oppressor who is going to rape you rather than look at you give me a fucking break my daughter is tough she doesn't need help she doesn't need a stool If there's a wall, she will go over it or she will find a way to navigate that. She'll recruit other people to help her. She doesn't need to be the strongest or the fastest, and she doesn't need to have testosterone to be successful in life. My family understands that it doesn't matter if you are black, white, brown, or green. You treat everyone with respect. My family has seen the movie Time to Kill. They have seen To Kill a Mockingbird. They are educated on the racism in the world, and that is for me to help them understand. With the support of the schools, But when we start teaching them theory, kids look up to teachers. They believe they're teachers. They're very similar to a master chief on a boat. A master chief on the boat is a very scary thing in the Navy. He is or she is an all-knowing person. You never say the words, I don't know. That person must have the answer. And you put down the law in the saltiest, toughest way to ensure that every sailor knows their mission and their job, and you train and retrain until they do. Teachers hold the same weight. And when you start filling kids' heads with this crap, you are not necessarily curing the things you are talking about. You're instigating and propagating them in their minds. And that is too much power for a teacher to wield. And it's too much responsibility to give to a child. Folks, that's it for my show. I hope you enjoyed it tonight. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. 22 veterans a day commit suicide is way too many. Veterans need your help. Please reach out to a veteran. Give them a call. If you can't talk to them and you don't really speak the language, which is normal, reach out to me. I'll be happy to make that call with you. I'll even fly out if I need to. Veterans are too important. 22 a day committing suicide is way too many. As I told you, PTS, anxiety, depression, traumatic brain injury are all real. If that veteran will not get the help and make that phone call, give them my URL to don'tunfriendme.com. They can click on the VCL link and be connected to a Skype operator via phone or computer immediately free of charge. And if you are not a veteran, you can reach out to them as well, and they will support you. No matter if you're in the military or not, they are just that good. Folks, thank you for celebrating and working through 176 with me. Thank you for my childish tribulations at the beginning, my opinionated rants in the middle, And remember, you can agree, disagree, you can love me, you can hate me, just don't unfriend me. I will see you tomorrow for Red Friday. Wear red, everybody, for episode 177. Good night.